that's why people end up burning out and hating what they do and are online complaining about entrepreneurship is because they, they scale, they're doing $10 million a year, but they have no idea why. Um, and they have no time on their hands to do anything. What is going on, guys? Today on the Collecting Keys Real Estate Investing Podcast, we have Cole Johnson, who is another very big operator in the United States and super, super stoked to have him on the show today. Um, you know, we do all these interviews and very rarely do we get people that I think are like, I don't know, high level real estate operators, right? So you get a ton of people that have like their niche businesses in their markets, which is cool. But for us as people that are also trying to grow like a larger business, getting the opportunity to meet with guys like Cole is honestly kind of why we started this podcast, you know, to be able to sit down and have a conversation with him for like an hour and talking about everything from, you know, real estate itself to business systems to kind of like the mindset around business and everything else is super, super valuable. And he covered a ton of great stuff in this episode. Yeah, he's already 25. And I think we've had guys who are 65 or people at least double his age that haven't dropped as much wisdom. So he's done a lot and he's a true operator. And selfishly, like you said, these are the kind of people we like being around because we get to ask them the questions we're curious about. And he talks a lot about how to use leverage, which is not a dirty word, um, and how to leverage people and how to leverage time so you can actually scale a real business and not have to sit there and be a hustler your whole real estate career. Yeah. I mean, which is such a huge part that so many people struggle with mm -hmm. when they start getting into the real estate investing business is you have these cash flow problems, you know, you have like the variability in revenue, but your costs kind of stay the same. And we kind of dive into all that sort of stuff, how to address it, how to view it, how to mentally deal with it. Mm -hmm. And overall, it was just a really, really valuable conversation around being an entrepreneur, um, not only in the real estate space, but just like in any sort of business that you decide yep. to get into. So definitely um, give him a follow on all of his socials, guys. He's a very, very good person to follow. His podcast is also awesome, especially if you are trying to be a serious real estate investor. So go and subscribe to him over there too. And uh, you know, don't be afraid to reach out to him. People come on these shows because they want exposure. They want you to engage with them. So you know, shoot him a DM, check out his show, um, send him a, an email. His assistant will probably only get back to you, but yeah. it's okay. That's how it's basically him. So. Yeah, basically him as far as he was saying at the end of this one. So anyways, guys, we appreciate you all. Please leave us a five-star review and share this with anyone who might be, who might find this show helpful and uh, enjoy this whole, this and enjoy this episode with Cole guys. It's a great See y'all. All right, Cole, I'm super excited to have you on the show, man. You are someone that I've been really excited to have on for a while because you were, I would say like the young guy that was getting after it when I first mm -hmm. started getting into real estate. And now you're still the young guy and you're still getting <laughs> after it, but you have grown such yeah. an incredible amount. So I'm super excited to dive into this conversation with you today. Um, and I'm excited too, because we're going to have some good business talk in this conversation, which is, you know, what it's all about at the end of the day, once you sort of reach that general real estate knowledge. Um, so Cole, for people who don't know you, uh, maybe give like a brief little introduction, who you are, what you do, um, you know, I know there's a ton of long form content from you out there. Yeah, so yeah, just yeah. give us like the short version. Absolutely. Well, first off, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, man. Happy to be here. Looking forward to it. I thought you were about to segue into uh, me being old now. Well, the funny thing is. Now, now he's the old guy. Yeah. And I, yeah. Yeah. I, played, I played pickleball last night and woke up to some swollen knees and stuff. I'm like, Ooh, man, yeah. uh, 20, 25, 26 does not feel like 20. <laughs> sure. uh, but yeah, my, my background, um, I come up from a real estate 
um, family, right? My of, of realtors, not investors. My my great grandma was a realtor. My grandma's a realtor. My mom was a realtor. My brother's a realtor. And so I grew up, you know, when I wanted to make some extra extra change, I was uh, helping my mom stage homes on the weekend, or uh, you know, taking the U-Haul with my dad to pick up stores, you know, equipment for for uh, st- staging houses, things of that nature. And so when I um, the older I got into high school and then college, every time I'd sit, every day I'd sit in class, go, I just want to figure out a way to make my own money. It made me literally sick to my stomach for whatever reason. I don't know if I was born that way or something happened, but uh, it made me sick to my stomach to think of working for someone else. And I've, so I've never had a job. Mm. Um, when I first needed to make money coming out of uh, kind of end of high school, I would uh, coach basketball or I do, I do my own trainings and invite a bunch of kids and charge their parents 50 bucks in a lesson or whatever. And so fast forward into college, there was, there was one Tuesday I drove home and um, was like, screw it, I'm, I'm headed home. So I dropped out my sophomore year and I had done running start. So I had a couple of years already done. I was like, I can go back if I need to and take a couple of years here and dive into this. And that led into me being a real estate agent. My whole family was realtors. And um, I said, man, I want to make money, right? I want to, I want the BMW. I want to be able to go have coffees three times a day. And I want to be, that's the realtor life, right? So <laughs> I, uh, I got, I had my license from the summer before and I started doing open houses and showings and uh, quickly realized that uh, you don't get rich all of a sudden from being, or just because you have your real estate license, especially when you're 19 mm-hmm. and you live in Seattle. And so then finally, I'm kind of, I'm going through this quickly because I want to get to the important part. I, uh, I hung my license at a brokerage called Caliber who did a lot of auction stuff. So they were doing the, they were going to the auction. They were having Thursday night investor meetings at their office collecting checks, going to the auction the next day for their clients and bidding on auction properties and making assignment fees. And I'm like, man, that's an interesting business. And I think I've always been, you know, predispositioned towards business more than real estate. So it was a good kind of combo. Um, and that led me down the path of wholesaling, which is what my primary thing I did for a couple of years. Um, and obviously that's led to a bunch of different companies, which I'm excited to talk about those with you guys as well today. But that's my background. It was it was a pretty simple. I had to make money. Uh, I, I was probably the worst realtor of all time. I just didn't like it. <laughs> so I, uh, I went the wholesaling off market route and uh, found found that game. And, and that has led in door after door after door after door for the past, you know, six, seven years. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And, and it's such a, you know, it's such a simple sort of origin story, right? But yeah. I think that that's mostly where a lot of people come from people just like to add an extra drama to so yeah uh no that, that's cool though man so now i guess fast forward you know you have done a ton of stuff for the past couple of years you had a very successful wholesale operation um that's where i first got interested introduced to you years ago i think maybe when you were on bigger pockets or, or one of those um what are, what are all your businesses look like now? Because I know we talked right before the show, business is now your main focus. Yeah. So uh, for my real estate business in of itself, for years and years and years, we do a couple million dollars a year in revenue, but there was no like true, the more I realized and I grow in business, you have to have like a clear what and why. I didn't really have that. I was just doing it to pay the bills, to make money, to make 10, 20, 30, 40 grand a month and to, uh, to live the life I wanted to live, which is awesome. Um, but as I've gotten into it, more intensely, I've started thinking about how do I use the real estate business as more of a very tactical place to, um, to build something meaningful. And mm-hmm. for me, that's so, so what I, so business, so my other companies, like I, I own a couple of big call centers and we also do some consulting and those are for the, for the most part, much to me, much more scalable companies. On, uh, and so what they do is they feed my real estate side now. Mm-hmm. So I don't just wholesale to wholesale. I don't just do deals to do deals. It's very intentional now. Telepad's still running, but it's very intentional if we're going to do a deal, there's a purpose to it. It's not just to make a check mm-hmm. um, because 
in all my other businesses are surrounding real estate. Um, it's just the, the real estate company itself. And that's what I teach a lot is you have to have an intention to it. Um, otherwise you're just going to always be on the hamster wheel, which is dangerous because I've seen that happen to so many people. They flip houses their whole life. They get to 50, 60 years old and they realize, crap, I made a ton of money, but I have no idea where that money is yep. um, because there's yep. no intention behind their business. And I think a, uh, to a lot of people, they just scale to scale. And to me, scale means profit and purpose. Like scale means how can I make more money and what am I going to do with that money so I can build a machine. And my whole thing, the whole thing I teach is how do we build machines um, that run themselves and machines that build machines. And uh, especially if you're listening to this, how do you build a machine that buys real estate or wholesales real estate or flips real yep. estate rather than you being the person wearing all seven, eight hats, um, doing all the work. So yeah, I, I have a call center. Um, we service real estate investors also, a bunch of different people in different industries that's grown a big time. Our headquarters in Belize now. Um, which is a couple hour flight from LA, a couple hour flight from New York, central time zone, English first country. And then we have um, a couple consulting businesses and then the real estate stuff. So, yeah. Heck yeah. I like what you're saying there. Like, so you have these other businesses that are, are real estate adjacent, but that's, what's feeding your investment strategy. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? So you're, you're creating the income yeah. so that you, which is your purpose to invest that money and let that machine keep growing over there as well. Yeah. Every, every person I met that's extremely wealthy, has figured out how to play the game of business and growing actual businesses, um, e even if it's a real estate business, and then protecting that wealth mm -hmm. and compounding that wealth in, in real estate. Um, mm -hmm. So that's that's my what, what and why now. It's generate as much cash as possible through my companies and then strategically invest that into real estate and do deals that have long-term purpose, not just to make 10, 20, 30 grand, which is awesome. You can make a lot of money wholesaling, mm -hmm. a lot of money flipping. I think it's an incredible business. But for me, I'm just trying to be more strategic now um, with the purpose behind each deal that I do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that's something that so many new people to entrepreneurship um, or like I'd say like most people, they start with a financial freedom movement mm -hmm. and then entrepreneurship kind of comes around after that. Yep. But they don't realize that in order to make passive money, you have to be making like real money. You have to have the vertical income as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I love kind of that transition that you went through. And, you know, a lot of people, they tend to find that through real estate, through wholesaling, through flipping houses, whatever that is. And you're completely right. People don't have like a sort of strategy. So when you're say you're doing it with intention now, um, are you still wholesaling businesses with your, um, your Helipad company? Or are you literally just doing that as like a private marketing machine for your own deals now? And you're using these other companies to buy those investments. Yeah, we do deals when they come our way. So we're still, we're still doing deals. Mm -hmm. um, I guess my, my point is we're just not like, I have no intention of doing deals just to do deals. So mm -hmm. we still, we still do deals, but it's not my main, my main focus is just mm -hmm. running up wholesale deals. So yes, it's, yeah. it's more of a, a tactical machine to, mm -hmm. to build what I want to build. Um, and obviously I think, I think the best combination, especially in a tax strategy is to make a bunch of money, whether that's flipping, wholesaling, doing other businesses and then protecting that in real estate. Like that's how a lot of the wealthiest people in our country, um, mm -hmm. operate. So I think that's more of, of my angle now. It's less about like, Hey, let's go do 200 assignment deals in the next year. It's more about, okay, yeah, we'll do the deals that come to us that make sense. Um, cause obviously like I'm, I'm for profit. Uh, if a deal comes to our, across our plate, it's a $50,000 wholesale deal. We're going to do it. But how do we, how do we focus our team on, on the real estate side on, on stuff that actually moves the needle for myself? Because a lot of people, I think that they forget they're building, you're either building a life 
around your business or you're, you're either building your life to serve your business or your business to serve your life. And I asked myself that question a year ago. I'm like, what am I? I was, I was more so building um, my life to serve my business. And I think that's why people end up burning out and hating what they do and are online complaining about entrepreneurship is because they, they scale, they're doing $10 million a year, but they have no idea why. Um, and they have no time on their hands to do anything. Dude, I resonate with that a ton. Like Mike and I have like really been beating this drum recently um, because like the idea of Mike mentioned earlier is like making massive income. But the idea is, is making massive income and then investing that in real estate. And the, the whole idea of building a real estate business and just collecting cash flow, like that is a freaking struggle. So learn how to make yep. real money. And then like you're saying, I love the way you're phrasing that is like protect it with real estate. It's awesome. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I was at a meetup with um, Aaron Amuchastegui about a month ago in Austin, and he opened the the meetup with the line that real estate is not the thing. Real estate is the thing that gets you to the mm-hmm. thing. And that really resonated with me yep. as just like a, that's like the grown up view right. about what real estate yes. investing can do for you, right? So, cool. um, so when you say you're strategically looking for you know, your own, your own assets now, what does that look like? I guess mentality wise, since you have these cash flowing machines with your other businesses, are you still investing for cash flow? Are you looking for like equity spreads? Is it purely for tax benefits? Is that, are you looking like residential or, you know, commercial stuff? Like what's all that look like? Yeah. Um, so I, I'm a guy like, and I, and I kind of told you guys pre-show, like I, I like business a lot more than I like real estate. So, mm-hmm. A lot of what I do on, on the is, is purely like protection. So a lot of what my HelloPad does now, we're looking at just like really solid assets in markets like San Diego, where I live now. Mm-hmm. That you know, you're not going to get a crazy return. You're not going to get an insane amount of cash flow. You're not going to get. I mean, we're not we're not flipping them for hundred thousand dollars. What can we buy that we know is going to appreciate? Because it, it, San Diego is an appreciation monster. What can we buy? Um, that it, we at least make a little bit of money on that's an appreciation monster that gets us tax write-offs and is in a, in a safe, secure market. Because um, San Diego is one of those markets you can't go north because you have the military base. You can't really go east because you have mountains and a bunch of desert. You can't go south because you have Mexico. Mm-hmm. So you're really kind of cornered and you get just a massive appreciation. So that, that's, my, that's my thing is, is how do we buy assets that, are, that, are, that have equity built in, have a little bit of a value-add component uh, if we want to sell them or whatever and uh and and play that game on the real estate side um mm-hmm. and on the real uh, on the business side make as much cash there to to do that uh, that that's more my thing now like i'm not really a big cash flow guy like i've i've owned a portfolio of duplexes around the country I, i've tried the the in your backyard model i've tried the um, around the country model and i just never got the i mean i, I know it works for people but it's always anytime you see someone online saying, "Oh, we're making five hundred bucks a month on this house," I go, "Yeah, but one thing breaks, and you're in the red for mm-hmm. the year, right?" Like it's not yeah. it's not as attractive of business. And I think the real estate business, especially scaling a flipping company, a development company, people don't realize you have fixed overhead and variable. Sorry, you have fixed overhead and variable revenue, right? You don't have any recurring revenue. You're, it's everything's variable on the revenue side, and so you're locking in salespeople, and you're locking in an office, and you're locking in. Uh, debt, you're walking in a bunch of stuff that's fixed expenses on variable revenue and, and, and revenue that's very dependent on the market. And I'm not like a negative anti-realist. Like I love real estate. It's what made me who I am. It's more of just uh, cautioning people as they're building their company, why they're building it and what they're building. Um, because I think you can wholesale and flip houses your way to an amazing income. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually, if you don't start focusing on building a business and an organization, it won't last long either you'll burn out or you'll get golden object syndrome you'll chase the next best best thing a guru put online 
Um, and so I know that's a bit of a tangent, but for me, my strategy is, is buy, buy assets, you know, are not going to go anywhere, you know, are going to appreciate, you know, are going to give you some tax write-offs and uh, let that be that. And if, if they don't make money, that's fine. As long as they don't lose money. Um, yeah. and, and for me, that's my, for right now, and that constantly changes, but for me right now, that's how I think about it. That's a great re- yeah. realistic view. Like you, I don't think it's a bad view at all. I think it's just facing reality. And you're saying you're not doing deals just to do deals, which is what we get caught up into this rat race. Like you're saying, like if you're a flipper, like you're just flipping to flip at some point because you have an arbitrary goal or you have to pay your fixed overhead, your crews and all that sort of stuff. And Mike and I are trying to be like this too in real estate, just be more opportunistic with the opportunities in front of you and use what you have, your massive income or your income from your business to take advantage of longer term plays in real estate. And it seems to be like Mike said earlier, the mature way to look at it. And I think what you're saying, it's a really realistic point of view. Yeah. I mean, look at San Diego, the median home price just for a single family is about a million bucks. So I go, Hey, if I buy five homes in the next five years and good areas that are a million ish bucks, okay. They, they may, may just break even mm-hmm. in 10 years in San Diego, those are probably going to double in value. Yep. So that's in the next 10 years, I'm gonna have $5 million in appreciation. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times a lot quicker, and that's the game. It's it's to buy solid assets, let them appreciate, and then ten thirty one into two. If I wanted ten thirty one into duplexes, fourplexes, um, you know, and, and and go bigger and play bigger ring, that's awesome. And I can use my machine, my mark, the machine I know how to do, which is source deals to go mm-hmm. find those assets. Um, but I look at some of the most wealthy guys I know. A lot of people don't do this either, but really taking advantage too of the, the two year. Uh, if you're married, right, every two years you trade your primary residence, you get a five hundred thousand dollar tax free. And in San Diego, <laughs> you get a little bit of value add. You're doing that every single two years. Yeah. And, you know, you do that for 10 years and you have a, you know, you have a couple million dollars just tax free income that way, not income, yeah. but um, tax free equity that way. So that's, that's the thing I think about. It's a lot more simple than people think. Mm-hmm. Like they don't have to do a million deals to live the life they want to live. And that's why I think screws people over is because then they get on that hamster wheel and they start building their expenses and building their overhead. They don't need to, to, to re- most of the time they don't need to, to hit their goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that, you know, what you mentioned there about the, um, the fixed expenses with the variable income is such a misunderstood thing by, I would say like smaller investment companies. Yep. Um, and you know, with our coaching program, people ask us all the time. In fact, someone asked us this on our coaching call yesterday is like, how do you guys manage the cash flow <laughs> situation with this? Because, you know, if you like, we'll have a lot of money coming out, closings get delayed, close deals aren't as big as you expect, all of a sudden you're in a cash crunch. And that's pretty much unavoidable, right? Because you can determine what your average cost per deal is going to be, but you don't know if that deal is going to be, you know, a $10,000 fee or a $100,000 fee. Like it can literally vary that much for the same cost. So let's transition over to like the system side and the business side of what you're talking about. And for someone that's kind of stuck in that hamster wheel, right? Or trying to like figure out how to solve that. What are like some of the main systems that they could put in place to overcome that do you think yeah i i think systems wise if you're I feel like you're on a hamster wheel if the really, really the first thing you need to understand is what you're doing with your time that, that's that's where i start and so there's an exercise that i'd anyone i work with or anyone i talk to or people on my team like our like our mid-management team are um, the leaders in our companies it's the same strategy i have them do which is the time audit so they spend two weeks and they document their day in 30 minute increments for two weeks and that's a good place to start because then you're really going to see like, where's my time going? And for most people, they've, even if they say they're working 10 hours a day, they're probably only really working and moving the needle for an hour, hour and a half, mm-hmm. two hours a day. And I see that time and time again. And so first understanding the first thing of leverage, which is time, where your time's going. 
And then the next thing I always focus on is it's based on that is how we can start buying back our time. Like, I don't think people need to go in and grab a super fancy CRM or anything like that. I think the first systems like baseline foundational thing you can do after understanding your time is hiring global uh, talent. Um, because people, even if you're making 50, 60, $70,000 a year, you can afford to start hiring someone for three, four or $5 an hour. They can come in and take all the admin work off your plate because most people aren't really struggling. Yeah. They have a lack of systems and you can also automate a lot of things, but a lot of people are struggling with um, burnout and exhaustion and they feel like they don't have time because they're, they're spending so much time doing admin things that they just don't need to be doing. Like you guys said, pre-show, right? After a show, you have a team that cuts up your show, mm-hmm. um, puts it, I'm guessing, distributes it across social media. And that's a, that's a process. But really what that is, it's, it's, a, it's a hire. And so many people can get rid of, most people can get rid of 70% of what they do right now, like especially this non, non-client, non-human facing with one, five, six, seven dollar an hour hire. And that's the first place I like having people start because that really opens their brain to to business and delegation. Um, and systems are easy to put in, right? You buy a CRM, you do a couple little tweaks, um, but that's really where I like to start because then you build that muscle and then you start solving problems um, and asking yourself who, not how can I do it myself? Mm-hmm. That's the biggest differentiator between a hustler and an operator is it goes from you solving every problem to you asking who can solve this problem for me. Because most problems, you go on Upwork.com, if you, whatever you're facing, if you have an issue with your website, you can spend eight hours trying to learn WordPress, or you can hire someone for a $100 contract to step in and fix that whole issue. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing people have to have that mental switch to, um, because you can't really hustle yourself. Most people can't hustle their way to the business they want to build. You have to learn how to get more leverage, and that usually starts with people. Yes, it does. Yeah. I know it does. And it, it's, it's funny. That's always such a challenging thing for people to understand. I don't know if it's like limiting beliefs, if it's like fear of commitment to this other person, like what that is. I don't know. But like, we, I think it's, um, sorry to cut you off. I think that that piece is, is mostly, um, where we live in a culture where everything's promoted of grind, hard work, 10 hour days, mm-hmm. and you can get to a good income that way, but you can get wealthy that way. Mm-hmm. Like, and you can't, beat your head against the wall, do a $5 million a year business. You have to eventually learn leverage, learning how to hire, learning how to systemize, learning how to delegate and, and, and learning how to actually lead and, and own an organization. And that's why people, cause they start doing that and they go, man, well, I don't, I don't have a million things to work on today. And that's the biggest thing I people see, I see people fail with. If they can afford to hire, they can afford to do all these things. They just don't because they're addicted to that that dopamine of completing that next mm-hmm. task to doing the same work they've done every single day for 10 years. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing. It's not that they're doing anything wrong. They just haven't, you know, flexed that muscle at all and, and built that muscle. Cause it is a muscle you have to build. And so they, they're forever caught in this game of um, how can I do as many tasks as humanly possible? Cause that's how they get their self-worth is how much they did. Um, and they don't have any leverage. Man, that's yeah. tough too to overcome. Yeah. Like I'm a, one of those people that I've historically been like super task oriented, right? Like, oh, I can, I'm going to just keep piling shit on and keep doing more and more. Yeah. And yeah. that doesn't give you a lot of time to do the real stuff, like the real strategy thinking and really like giving your brain the break so that all the creativity shit can pop in your head. That's why they say like when you're taking a shower or you're doing something where you can't do anything else, but that is when your most creative ideas come because you're finally giving your brain that time to like, Oh, okay. I like thinking about that. Yep. hundred percent. That's true for me. Like I have a business coach who was a, uh, he was a Nighthawk pilot for the Navy SEALs. Wow. And he, 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 he told me, he tells me every single week, he has to remind me, he's like, you're honestly, your, your highest and best use of your time 
is when you're on the golf course, you're in the hot tub and your brain's turned off of like intense focus and it's thinking through issues. Because if, if, when you truly own a business, that's your ultimate job. Like, like Bezos says too, it's right. His executive team, the leaders in his company, their job is to make a couple of good decisions per day. That's the rule. And I think I've struggled with that for a long time. People really struggle with that of our identities are so tied to how many hours you sit behind a computer. You stop forgetting that like, yeah, I mean, if you're on a walk, you might have one idea or one thing that if you implement will 10 X your business, you're not going to get if you're responding to emails all day. Um, so yeah. I think we just have a, because of the school system, because of And I have, I have a lot of thoughts about that mm -hmm. because of how we're raised. So task oriented, it, it twists around leverage and most people never learn leverage or they feel bad about using leverage. Um, mm -hmm. and it's a vicious cycle. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think the feeling bad about using leverage is a big one, especially because so many people, they dislike their W-2s, their current life situation, that they feel like a sense of guilt trying to like have someone come in to what they yeah. view as a yeah. I've had people tell yeah. me that the word leverage is not a nice word. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, that's an yeah. amazing word. Like the idea of leveraging time, leveraging other people, like that is awesome. Yeah, I get, whenever I post about my call center, I get so much hate, like, oh, you're paying these people $5 an hour. I'm like, yeah, but you go to these countries and like I've been to Belize, I've been to our centers down there and people are thrilled to have, cause that's the top of the pyramid mm -hmm. employment in their country right. and jobs are not a bad thing. And I feel like most people should have jobs because everything we're talking about is awesome, but most human beings are not capable of, of containing the amount of stress and things that go wrong to own a business. Cause business on paper is simple. <laughs> Writing down a plan to buy assets is simple. It's the day in day out. Like it's between the ears part that that that's the difficult part. And if you don't truly love it, if you're not truly wired internally to, to and a part of you like that, uh, you probably should have a job. And yeah. I'm more, uh, that's the train I'm, I'm on more and more. I think when the market was hot, everyone became a, a sexy real estate investor. And the reality is like, there's nothing wrong with having a job. Um, because a lot of people have great experiences with that and build a lot of wealth while having a job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Truly underrated comment right there, honestly. Yeah. And there's this, it's, I think that's also part of the hustle culture is people are driven towards wanting to make something of themselves. Mm -hmm. And most people don't even know that they aren't cut out for it. Yeah. Honestly, where you see it a ton is when people, you know, have like marriages and there's one person that has an entrepreneurial drive and wants to, you know, pursue that. And then they have a spouse that is not fully aligned. And, you know, we all know guys and girls who have these, you know, entrepreneurial spirits and they always have the same question, like, how do I get my spouse on mm -hmm. board? Like they're not willing to take the risk. They're not willing to, yep. you know, commit to these things. Like, well, they're not the same mindset and they're not going to be able to convince right. them. Like they just don't have that natural yeah. bug. Right. Yeah. A lot of it, a lot of it's just built in. I feel mm -hmm. like, um, and reality. So, yeah, I mean, I think, and a lot of people have spouses too that, that do support them, but this is, this is another game I think people get caught up in and something I've been preaching about a lot is like, the working 10 hour a day, like the difference to most people, if they, if they end up being worth 15 million, 20 million is not that significant. And I have a business coach of mine who, um, who had an engagement when he was in his twenties and he came home one day and, and after he just sold his company for tens of millions and his fiance put the ring on the counter, I was like, I'm done. Mm -hmm. And she told him, she's like, it's awesome what you're doing, but I never asked for any of it. Mm -hmm. And I th so I think too, like people that are building companies, a reason they burn out when they're in the office 12 hours a day and put all this pressure on themselves to make an extra hundred grand a year, to make an extra $10 million. Like at the end of the day, uh, a lot of, a lot of people, that's the hustle culture thing. A lot of people, you weren't asked, you no know, one asked you to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think really finding and being okay with what your 
tolerance for stress because I I'm really passionate about this now because I've had I've had I had a buddy recently who um, decided it was it was too much. He had so much pressure on himself, so much stress on himself. That he decided like I'm I'm better off not being here. And a lot of people get so they dig themselves in a hole with personally guaranteed debt and with uh, stress and payroll without even understanding why they're doing that or if they want to be doing that mm-hmm. just because that's what society deems is cool. Um, so, yeah. That's a super valuable what you're saying there too. And talking just about the alignment and nobody asking you, we, we had a really good conversation yesterday for like probably an hour and a half with some GoBundance guys talking about like your vision and getting super clear with that, but then aligning that vision to like, what is your spouse? What are your kids? Like, what is your family vision? Because you could be caught up in that situation where you're like, I'm doing it for you guys. It's like, are you? Cause nobody asked you to do it. Now you're just like yeah. burning the the candle wick at both ends because some you're ego thing. Asshole, yeah, right? exactly. It's, it's, ego. it's an ego thing. Yeah. Right. And I asked yeah. my, I ought to ask myself like, what is my, like, what does my wife truly want? And she's, she grew up with a, with a dad who's in business. So she wants, she likes that life, mm-hmm. right? She wants, um, and she's okay with that. But it's still like, does my they, do they really care if there's like an extra twenty grand left over at the end of the month? We don't need it. No, most like they really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's you still want to have financial security, and I'm very pro money, very pro capitalism. Mm-hmm. Like I'm all about make as much money as you can and provide as many jobs as you can. But I think the game, so many people are, are hurting so bad, right? especially right now with the way the markets turn, mm-hmm. because they're playing a game they don't want to be playing just because they mm-hmm. think other people care um, or want them to be playing that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's awesome. So going back to that overseas talent, which I think is, you know, a huge piece that a lot of people need to work to their business. Um, I'm not going to ask like how to get started finding that. Cause you know, anyone can go post on Upwork or yeah, it's on, I, I have YouTube videos too, that are like hours long of yeah. like the step by step of that. Yeah. They're, they're, they're all over the yep. place. Right. Um, what, what would you say that for people who want to find the best talent, you know, and like the best overseas talent. Uh, I don't, like I don't, what, I don't what think kind people, of people need to be worried about roles. the best talent. I think you need to be worried sure. about how to manage, right? Cause that's, what's not taught. You can find YouTube videos on like hiring, but then it's really the management side. And so I teach really, you know, a three or four step process to managing any overseas talent and making them good because with the AI tools that are out there, you can take someone that can barely speak English in the Philippines and they can be a really good asset to, mm-hmm. to your team. Um, so the first thing we do is we're just very clear on like what we want them to do. And what I mean by that is we don't just say, hey, I want you to do X, Y, Z. We build a process for them to do it. And that usually consists of a Loom video, uh, step-by-step instruction on how to do that task, a trigger and a definition of done, and training them on it one time live. That's the second piece. It's actually being clear into your documentation of what that task is. How do they know when they should do it? How do they know it's done? And the next thing is how you man- how you have- how they report to you and how you measure against um, what you're setting for them. So a lot of people make the mistake is they micromanage every single day. They're worried about every single hour are the people they're paying and doing their job. I think that's a terrible way to go about it. It's going to make your life miserable. So what I, what I tell people is set really clearly defined measurables and make sure you understand what success looks like and then communicate that to them and then have your call once a week with them and have your KPIs. You can track what they're doing and measure against whatever you, you said success looks like. Um, cause I see so many people, they go and hire someone from the Philippines. They treat them like garbage. They treat, they treat them mm-hmm. like they're, subhuman just because they don't live in the united states and they expect them to perform great and um they're slacking them every 20 minutes making sure they're doing their work like that doesn't work um what does work is setting a very clearly defined task setting a very clear defined idea of what success looks like communicating that and then measuring against that on a weekly basis that that to me is what um a a good starting place is for managing someone because so it's not it's not as much about finding the best hire it's how you manage that hire um because if you if you can do that piece right, you, you, 
you don't have to find the perfect person. So true. That's like yeah. leadership what? 101, right? Like set expectations. Mm -hmm. And then the one thing that people suck at is actually follow through on those expectations, check in with them, help them grow, help them meet those expectations. Yep. Yeah. And I don't know what that is with like, you know, the people that treat the overseas you know, VAs like garbage. I've I seen that all, like all the time. Bad character you know, I, I, I've seen that from guys that I know are super well off that are, will be posting things like, Hey, so my VA, uh, I've been tracking their time and watching their screen. They're only actually working 30 hours a week. Um, like how do I get out of having to pay them for 40 or like, is there anyone that wants yeah. them to do 10 hours? Save 20 bucks. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you think fucking Sharon, yeah. your assistant that sits at your office works for 40 hours a week? No. She works that for doesn't 12. know how to use email. Yeah. That's the thing. They just shouldn't be business owners. That's like, exactly. They should not hire if people. You can't, if, if you're taking the responsibility of hiring someone and taking ownership over their income, um, you have to know how to manage. Otherwise you shouldn't be doing it. That's, that's my opinion on that because it's, it's so common. Do you, um, I think that's, yeah. that's the number one thing that exposes people to me of like, okay, yeah, you just shouldn't, you shouldn't own a business. That's just mm -hmm. the reality of it. Do you have like a key hire that you've hired? I'm thinking like on the exec executive assistant level or somebody that helps you kind of manage your day to day. Cause that's something Mike and I have talked about. Like that to me sounds like a really nice yeah, I made thing. A, to have. I made a lot of hires. So um, my biggest thing, every business I grow, I follow just a, a step by step. So I hire for admin, then I hire fulfillment, then I hire marketing, then sales, okay. and then leadership. Mm. Um, that's my just like set blueprint. But what I can say is a couple of key hires I made that have changed the game for me, not just in business, but personally, I have a, I have a personal chief of staff yeah. and she's based in Toronto. She's sal makes a good salary and gets a commission on the, on the businesses. And what she is, she, I call it like the Swiss army knife. She jumps into any fire, any fire that's going on. She's like my clone of me. Okay. Um, so she can handle any situation just like I could. She jumps in or if we need a project completed, if we need to hire in a certain company. Um, so she's like a bandwidth extender for each company and everything that I do. Then I have an executive assistant that's like email, calendar, um, inbox, bills, payroll, travel, all that kind of stuff. Um, that's, that's, that's a life-changing hire for people because like you shouldn't check your email more than once a day. And like, like my biggest thing that changed the game for me is an EA, six, $7 an hour. You, um, we have an email system where he has an inbox, I have an inbox. I only look at the stuff he puts in my inbox and we flag on our buy daily review. I don't look at my email besides that unless he flags something for me. So I respond to attorneys. I respond to my business partners and I respond to like requests from people that um, I know or through a connection. That's it. Mm. Um, and that's what most people, they're spending an hour, two, three hours a day on email when you should be spending 10 minutes max. Same thing for Slack. Same thing for your calendar. Same thing for travel and bills. Like you can get half your day back. Most people can paying someone $7 an hour. Um, so I think those two things are big. And then the third one is kind of a luxury hire, but we hired a house manager, mm -hmm. my wife and I, um, it's not even expensive. It costs like a grand a month. And they come, she comes three hours a day. It's laundry dishes, cars are clean, groceries are ordered, like everything's done. And that to me was the most, uh, personal, like personal life impactful hire because you have, um, I mean, that, that buys back a ton of time and bandwidth. Yeah. Um, and if you guys are married, I'm sure you can, you can imagine what that, yeah. what else that buys back in terms of just peace of mind. Right. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that, those are a couple that I've, that have really changed the game. I have a head of content too. who is full-time who just all of our media strategy and all of our runs, our editors and our graphic design team and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Nice. Yeah. We just brought in the head of content, which has been huge for us. Um, I, I have a question regarding your, your EA. Um, the, uh, like what did that transition look like to like bringing that person in? Um, <laughs> we can pause. You can, your mic. yeah, your, your mic just fell apart. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
Yeah, I'll uh, I'll ask that question again. Here, Max, cut this part out. <laughs> I haven't seen that before, dude. Yeah, that's funny. Like I said, right? It's just a you got to be willing to solve the big issues. Like right. Phone <laughs> yeah. That's good stuff. Now I'm all worried. Mine's okay, I think it, I think it'll I think it'll survive the rest of the show here if I stop playing. Okay. Thing. Cool. Good. Yeah. All right. Good to go. All right. Cool. I'll pause here real quick and I'll ask that question again. Cool. Um, all right. So I have a question about what that looked like bringing in your, your EA, because, you know, something that I've thought about for a while, and honestly, one of the most daunting things is like, what does that handoff look mm -hmm. like in terms of like all your accounts and your email and everything else? Because like my stuff's already like, you know, it's a pile of spaghetti all of a sudden I have to like, just give it to somebody else and they figure out how to untangle it and have someone else take it over. Do you have any like tips or guidance for that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's just being okay with it being a mess for a while, honestly, yeah. like mm -hmm. it's going to take time to unwind the, the knot we create for ourselves, but it's very, it's pretty, pretty simple. Um, it's like, just, I, I, I would start with the email inbox at the mm -hmm. first place I would start. And I would just meet with them daily for the first two weeks for 15 minutes in the morning and help them understand your decision-making process when it comes to your inbox and, and, and set a clear defined process. If they're a business partner that has one of these names, if they're an attorney, if there's someone that introduces me via CC and email for a podcast opportunity or something like that, something I need to respond to, put it in my inbox. Let me know on our, on our meeting, anything else. If it's so I'm on a vacation and someone emails saying, Hey Cole, can you come to my podcast? Hey Cole, can you blah, blah, blah. You can just literally, and they, they live in my inbox. So they also have their own email, but they live, they live in my inbox. It's a big thing that changed the game for me and they'll respond. They'll jump in from their email saying, Hey, uh, I'm just jumping on this. Cause I'm sure you want a quick response. Uh, here's what we can do with that situation, blah, blah, blah. That's, that's it. Um, on the email side, I would start with email mm -hmm. and then I would move on to other communication platforms and I would solve communication first because you got to think as entrepreneurs, you guys have run a podcast, you have different companies, you have so much communication coming in and 99% of it doesn't need to, you don't need to take up bandwidth because we all only have so much bandwidth. So if you can solve communication and make sure everything is getting filtered and only the 1% of super important things are impacting your bandwidth, that's life-changing alone in itself. Then I moved on to just what else do I hate doing? I hate paying bills. Like mm -hmm. I don't even log into my personal bank account anymore. Like I don't like it. I don't like logging in. Everyone wakes up, they usually log into the bank account. They make sure their bills are paid, their credit cards are paid, their travel's booked. Like then I move through just things I don't like to do, which mm -hmm. is um, you know, my bills, my payroll for my companies, my credit cards, my uh paying, I don't like all, all that stuff. And I just kept adding on to that. Um, and eventually you kind of get out of that spot and one by one over two, three months, you don't have to worry about that stuff. How did you get comfortable yeah. with turning over like act as you oh. good? Oh, sorry. I got a little delay. So do they act as you on your emails yeah. or are they like Sometimes. basically working as your assistant? Yeah, most of the time they'll, they'll man, mon monitor my inbox on one screen, but then if they need to jump in, they'll jump in on a different screen and through, from their own email. Um, but sometimes they'll jump in as me too, or they'll sign stuff for me. If it's something, it's a document I need to sign. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you, like, how did you feel comfortable with, like, giving over, like, bill paying, financial information? Like, is this a offshore VA, onshore? Not that that matters, but, like, how did you overcome that kind of concern? Yeah, so when it, when it comes to bank account access, it's my chief of staff. Okay. Um, and that just came through time trusting here. And I also have to, I, you know, I started by two-factor authentication, so I had to approve any wire, any transfer, any ACH, any Zelle. Nice. Um, and it was sending me them out in my, into a text. But now I, I got rid of that, and she does it all. It's just trust. I just, and it's a, there's obviously there's a risk there, right? But it's a trust thing. Mm -hmm. um, 
and I, you know, I'll check my bank once a week and I go through the weekly transactions and it's, and I have a bookkeeper, so it's not like it, we're, we're not watching it a little bit. Right. Um, and then on the, um, on the other side with my EA and stuff for booking travel and everything, they, they have something called privacy card. It's like privacy.com. And it's a, uh, you could, you can set a, you can set a limit on that card and it pulls right from your bank account. Um, so I don't, I don't give them like unlimited credit cards. So that's been a good option for like travel booking and things of that nature. I'll set a thousand dollar limit on that card mm. and then they can use it for travel and ordering things, stuff like that. That's valuable. Nice. Yeah. That's super awesome. Cool. Well, you got a lot going on. Cool. Um, it's awesome to see how you've sort of like grown to in such a short period of time. So, I mean, you're only 25. What's, what's next for you? What do you sort of plan for, for you know, the rest of your twenties going into the rest of your life, which, you know, all of us now in 2023, what do they say? Most of us will probably live to be over a hundred with general stuff. So you, you got a lot of yeah, time lot. to figure out whatever you want that to look like. So what's on your plan? What's on your docket? Yeah, I think, um, I want to stick with what I'm doing right now and just, and just grow it as big as I can. I think there's a lot more opportunity and you can dig a lot deeper than you think you can or in whatever opportunity you're chasing right now. Like with the podcast, for example, podcasts podcasts themselves are are, are sometimes fifty hundred million dollar companies, um, media companies. I think everyone I think everyone has a responsibility if they're a business owner to create a media company around themselves and and really turn them, themselves into a brand. I think that's a massive opportunity. So continuing to grow the brand and our, and our presence across social media is a big thing for me. Um, I think there's just between hiring and business partners and advisors and mentors and opportunities. It's just there's nothing like that. And it's a slow compounding game, but it, there's, it's, it's a very meaningful game. A lot of the hires we have in our companies, they didn't, we were probably not at the point to hire someone of their skill, but they just said, hey, cool, I see your stuff. I want to work for you. Um, mm -hmm. And that's very valuable. Besides that, man, um, you know, continuing to grow the companies we have, I want to sell one of our companies in the next three, three four years. And I think we're on pace for that. Um, cool. That's a big thing for me. And uh, just as like a, it probably won't. It never feels as good as it as you think it will when you get there, right? But uh, that's something I want to check off. And then, uh, yeah, that that's it. Continue to grow my companies, get better and better as a leader and an entrepreneur. And uh, yeah, I, tra I travel a lot, and, and so um, continuing to do all that stuff as well. There I like go. it. Just in it for the game, man. <laughs> I love it. That's the best place to be. Yeah. Um, awesome. Very cool. All right. Well, uh, we are getting to the end of time here. So we're going to go into our end of show questions. We ask the same three questions for every guest that comes on the show. And the first one is always the group favorite. And that is, what is your craziest real estate investing story? And this can be a big win, a big loss, crazy tenant, crazy seller, yeah. you know, crazy transaction, yeah. whatever you got. I think my favorite one is when I was 20 years old. We just started doing text marketing. I think that was like 2019 when texting became huge. And we sent out a text like a couple weeks into starting it. And two days later, a guy texts back and goes, yeah, meet me here. I'll sell you my house for 450 But this has got to be fraud, right? This has got to be a scam. Someone trying to mess with us. I mean, this house is worth like 900 as is. Um, and so we went there and met with him. And he walked in. He was wearing probably a $200,000 watch, um, probably a 60-year-old dude. And it was my, my old business partner and myself. And we're, we're standing there. And he, uh, he walks up to us as I, I love seeing young guys make money and young guys that are hustling, make money. And he, we pull the contract, he signs it for 450. That was a $200,000 assignment fee. Oh, two weeks later, wow. we, two weeks later, we got paid. And I was like, <laughs> we probably could have made more at too. Uh, but it was such a big number. We just jumped on it. And, uh, yeah, that, that really shook me up because I was like, man, like that check right there takes 
that's five years of the average salary in the US yep. in two weeks because I sent a text message. And so that really, you know, that my tagline on my podcast, I always end with is you're one deal away because I think the most meaningful thing for people is you're one good deal away from something in your brain switching forever and you understanding that you can like truly control your financial future and what happens around that. So that was part of my craziest deal story. Great story. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Did you ever do any research on that guy? Whenever stuff like that happens, yeah. I was trying to figure so out he, what he was a massive uh, apartment builder. So he mm. built massive okay. apartments wow. all over uh, the West Coast. And so he, he, a couple hundred grand didn't mean anything to him. And he just went through a divorce and he was like, you guys remind me of myself. I want you guys, I want to help you guys succeed. It was kind of, it was one of those things. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was probably the house that his uh, ex-wife was going to have some stake in. So he was like, I got <laughs> He's like, like exactly. I don't want her to get shit. shit. Probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah, probably. Yeah. That's funny. That's funny. All right. Second question. What is the number one tip you would give to a small time operator trying to take their business to the next level? Overseas talent, man, make, try to make that first hire $5 an hour, get, get swinging at it because that can change your life um, a lot quicker than you think. And you enjoy your business. And even if you still want to wear a lot of the hats in your business, if you can get the very, your email, if you can get little things off your plate, you'll wake up and be able to spend your time. What makes you the most money. And I think that's what we all want is to make as much money as possible at the end of the day. So um, that would be my number one tip. Easy. Very good. Cool. All right. And then last question, where can people find you, follow you and reach out to you? I'm on every platform. If you want more educational, like long form stuff, YouTube and, and, and my podcast off market operator. If you want uh, to chat in the DMS or to see more short form stuff, uh, Twitter, Instagram, I'm most responsive on Instagram DMS. That's at Cole Rue Johnson um, on all lowercase, no underscore anything. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty much on every platform. Cool. Sweet. I love it. Easy enough. Well, Cole, I really appreciate you coming on the show, man. Super good to meet you. And I, I love just the deep dive in, you know, entrepreneurship and, and hearing everything else there. Um, it's rare to meet people that are like, just like true entrepreneurs and true business owners. So I really appreciate you taking time yep. out of your schedule to come and chat with us. Likewise, guys. It was a lot of fun. Thank appreciate you. It. So, cool. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks so much, everybody, for listening. You should definitely give Cole a follow and check out his podcast as well. It's a great show. And if you like what we talk about and some of the weeds that we get into, then you'll definitely love his show because um, he talks about a lot of similar stuff and at sometimes even a little bit of a higher level and just a different perspective. Mm -hmm. So you know, check him out there and also follow him out on the socials. Besides that, guys, please go and leave us a five-star review on iTunes and share this with anyone else who is interested in making massive income, not just passive income, through a real estate business. And we appreciate you all. Talk to you guys next week. Bye.